You're listening to Tash Amplified, a podcast that seeks to transform research and experience concerning inclusion and equity for people with disabilities into solutions people can use in their everyday lives. This is our second episode in preview of the Tash Annual Conference, to be held in St. Louis, Missouri, from November 30th through December 2nd. We talk with Natalie Holdren about the Inclusion Means Diversity and Cultural Competency Symposium she will be moderating on Thursday. In addition to moderating the symposium, Natalie will be presenting her own work, so we also discuss cultural and linguistic competency for school staff working with parents of diverse backgrounds on their students' individualized education program, how to make your TASH chapter more inclusive, and tools to help people recognize their own cultural biases. To learn more about the conference, including a full schedule and a register, visit tash.org conference2016. Natalie Holdren, tell us about yourself. What brought you to your work on disability issues? What are your areas of interest in your research? Thank you. I'd love to. So actually, when I was in third grade, I was transferred mid-year into a new classroom and was really nervous about having to make friends and fitting in. Um, My seat partner in that new classroom was a boy named Michael. And he was really smart, funny, a little irreverent and immediately took me under his wing and we became pretty good friends. Um, He also happened to have what I now figure was probably cerebral palsy. At the time I didn't actually know, Um, but it significantly impacted his movement and his speech. What it didn't change was where he was educated, how he got to school, we actually walked to school together, or who his friends were. And Michael was really my first friend with a disability and that experience set me up to question mainstream society's views on disability and what it meant in terms of segregation and and outcomes for people. So then in college, I started working in various jobs with individuals with disabilities and their families, which eventually led me to teaching special education and then on to graduate school. So currently I'm a doctoral student at UCSB, wrapping up my dissertation and I supervise and teach students there who are getting their special ed credentials. And I'm also the co-president of the California chapter of TASH. My current research centers on training teachers to facilitate parent-friendly IEP meetings. And uh, we also work with strategies for professionals who team with culturally and linguistically diverse families. Your experience with the Georgetown Leadership Institute for Cultural Diversity and Cultural and Linguistic Competence has figured large in your work. Tell us about the program. What did you learn from them that you're putting into practice or passing on to others? Well, in June of 2015, I was fortunate enough to participate in the very first cohort of their Leadership Academy for creating change in networks that support individuals with disabilities. The purpose of the Academy is to support those who want to advance and sustain cultural diversity and cultural and linguistic competence within the organizations that they serve. Um, The program is really comprehensive, and it involves a series of activities that lead up to a fantastic four-day workshop in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, The content and the faculty were fantastic. 
Um, but then once you leave the workshop, uh, it's not over. They follow up with you through online webinar trainings. You have coaching sessions over the phone. And they also pair you with a mentor who is out doing the work of furthering cultural competence within the field. So um, it, was, it was really a fantastic experience. The, the program included some really powerful components. For example, there was an assessment of your own leadership skills that you had completed by the people who know you and work with you called the Leadership Practices Inventory. And we used that during the four-day um, institute to evaluate our own strengths and figure out what our areas of growth were. They also have you participate in an online tool that's through Project Implicit. And it's, it's a really neat program that you can use to actually measure your own biases. Um, so a lot of really neat uh, opportunities through that program. I felt like the content was incredibly useful. And most of all, the Institute gives you direct access to some really incredible visionaries who've been doing this work for a very long time. Um, I think the most powerful piece of the Academy for me was the merging of the values of cultural competence with the work of leadership. It's really one thing to care about diversity and cultural competence, but it's completely another to learn how to guide organizations to take on that work. And it turns out there's a whole literature on leadership and culture change that I was naive to. And I feel like it's really helped me learn about what it means to be an agent of change. Because one's own culture is transparent, I think it's hard to know what people mean when they talk about cultural biases or blind spots. What are some exercises or tools that you'll be demonstrating in your session at the conference to help people understand their own cultural biases? Well, I think that culture is only transparent if your own cultural identities are well represented in the context that you're in. So for example, Culture is transparent if those around you have similar cultural identities as you and look and behave according to your own cultural expectations. But if you're suddenly transplanted to a place where your culture is not the norm, culture becomes very obvious and can create barriers for participating in society. Um, remedying issues like culture blindness is really about acknowledging that we all have multiple cultural identities that impact who we are and how we behave in different contexts. Uh, and I believe that those who feel firmly rooted in dominant American culture have a responsibility to look critically at their assumptions about the world and how others experience it, especially if they're in the position of supporting families who are culturally and linguistically diverse. Um, one strategy I'll be sharing in my session is a template for looking at your own multiple cultural identities and it's based on the work by Pamela Hayes out of the counseling literature. It was uh, something I was introduced to at the Georgetown Leadership Academy. And I really like it because it allows you to think about the many aspects of your own cultural identity and how each of those can impact how you relate to and work with others. Um, and the great thing about this session is that it'll give participants tools to take back home so that they can start these conversations within their own organizations. You have three sessions at the annual conference. Your session on parent participation in the individual education program process is titled Meaningful Parent Participation, Professional Considerations for Teaming with Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Families. 
What barriers do culturally and linguistically diverse families face in the individual education program planning process? I think in a nutshell, there's a power differential that is kind of inherent in the IEP process that I think has the potential to disadvantage all parents, but especially those from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. There's some themes that emerge in the research literature that demonstrate this. For example, parents don't have the technical knowledge that professionals have, and often their own knowledge of their child carries less weight within meetings because the field puts such a heavy emphasis on professional expertise. Often, a parent perspective is seen as more anecdotal or more subjective. Um, they can also be disadvantaged by the fact that parents aren't privy to the insider information that districts have about what services they are actually willing and able to provide. And I can speak to that as a former special education teacher. Um, also, the logistics of meetings often are organized at the convenience of the school. The IDEA says that meetings should be scheduled at mutually agreed upon places and times, but we see in the literature, and I've seen in my own experiences, that often parents are given the date and place, or best case scenario, maybe a small choice of dates and places for the meeting. Um, additionally, families from diverse backgrounds, they don't often have the taken for granted benefit of belonging to the culture of rights and advocacy. Those are very much American ideals. They're not universals. And many of the policies that guide special education and the IEP process re require that parents become advocates and educational decision makers. And uh, for example, as Ann Turnbulls noted, not everyone is interested or equipped to take on that role. Uh, and then another piece is just that there are resource barriers that families from diverse backgrounds might face that can impact their ability to participate. They may lack access to knowledgeable networks about disability. They may lack access to transportation or flexible employment that allows them to meet at the convenience of the IEP team. Uh, they're also more likely to stru struggle with the technical language and the complicated documentation. Really, I could, I could go on and on. Tell us about the work you're doing in the community to make individual education programs more culturally and linguistically aware. Well, uh, one of my research studies involved using actors in simulated IEP meetings as a way to assess and train pre-service special education teachers on how to facilitate a more parent-friendly meeting. Um, the study was a multiple baseline design, and we gave each student teacher a targeted training program on embedding certain behaviors into the meeting that would um, that were designed to improve the IEP experience for families. So for example, we train them to create regular opportunities within the meeting to stop and check for parent input or to see if the parent was understanding maybe the content of a, um, of a team member's report or to check and ask the parent if they're in agreement with assessment information. We also train them to interrupt the meeting to explain jargon or to feel free to ask another professional at the table to clarify a point if it seemed too technical. Um, so we saw improvement within the simulated meetings. And then we also got to follow our student teachers out into the real world and see them in action once they were in-service teachers running real IEP meetings. And it's been a great experience. I think these skills 
and will help all parents um, and especially parents who are from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. One of the sessions that you'll be presenting is titled Creating a More Diverse TASH, Building Cultural Competence Within TASH Chapters. What work have you done to improve the cultural and linguistic competency of the California TASH chapter? What should other chapters be doing to make sure they're able to address the needs of the complete breadth of people with disabilities? I think the first step is just to have a conversation with your board and with your membership about what it would mean to build a more diverse, culturally competent chapter. I think it starts with looking at the demographics of your state and then looking at the makeup of your board and your membership and the attendees of any conferences or events that you hold. Um, and I think if the diversity of your state is not reflected in the diversity of your organization and the people your organization serves, then you begin to brainstorm ways to change that. Uh, in my mind, it's really about creating an organization where the values of diversity and cultural and linguistic competence are at the center of all of the decisions that you make. Um, and, the, and all of your committees reflect on ways to make the organization more accessible to diverse populations. So, for example, your nominations committee, your conference or event planning committee, your membership and keynote committee, everyone needs to be thinking about ways to create a more accessible organization. Uh, with Caltash last year, I created a cultural competence committee, and one of our first tasks was to create a parent leadership scholarship to help bring individuals who were already active within their communities but had maybe never heard of Caltash to our conference. And then within our conference, we uh, set up some support so that we were meeting with them, um, introducing them to others. We invited them to a specific session on building a more diverse Caltash and asked them to help us identify um, strategies we could use or others in their community that could benefit from our work. Um, so those are just a few ideas, and we certainly have only just begun, but it's exciting and important work, and we're going to keep pushing forward. And last, you're going to be the moderator of the Inclusion Means Diversity and Cultural Competency Symposium. Can you tell us about some of the participants' presentations and what you hope to get out of the symposium? Absolutely. There are going to be some very talented researchers presenting their work. Um, Grace Francis and her colleagues will be presenting on the transition experiences of Spanish-speaking families. A team from the University of Wisconsin-Madison will be there presenting on culturally and linguistically responsive social intervention strategies. Uh, Zachary Rossetti and his team will be there presenting on um, examining culturally and linguistically diverse families' engagement in the special education process. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, I think overall it's just an excellent collection of cutting-edge research, and I think in the current climate it's more important than ever for researchers, practitioners, and service providers to give this kind of work a place in the mainstream, and I really hope that this symposium does just that. People should obviously attend your sessions at the conference, but for people not attending the conference or unable to make one of your sessions, what are some resources where people can learn more about cultural and linguistic competency as they apply to issues of disability? Georgetown's National Center for Cultural Competence has some amazing resources on their website. 
including assessment tools that you can use to look at your own organization. In fact, I believe TASH partnered with them on one that um, all TASH chapters could certainly use to look at, look at the work that their organizations are doing. There's also webinars and online trainings. And I would highly recommend that individuals apply to take part in the next cohort of the Leadership Academy, which will be June 19th through the 22nd. Um, what else? I think Project Implicit has a website which allows you to explore your own biases in an interesting way, and I would highly recommend that. I also really love the work of Maya Kalyamper and Beth Harry. I think that anyone who works with individuals with disabilities really needs to to read cultural reciprocity in special education. Natalie Holdren, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today and preview some of the diversity and cultural competency sessions at the annual conference. We look forward to seeing those sessions in their entirety just a few short days from now. Thank you so much. You've been listening to TASH Amplified. For more about the series, including show notes, links to articles discussed, a complete transcript, and a schedule of episodes, visit tash.org amplified. You can subscribe through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app to have the series delivered automatically to your device so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a rating on iTunes. Ratings will help us get the series in front of more listeners. TASH is a values and research-based advocacy association with a 40-year record working for the rights of people with disabilities. On November 30th through December 2nd, TASH will hold its annual conference in St. Louis, Missouri. We hope you will join us there. In addition to Natalie Holdren's individual sessions, meaningful parent participation, professional considerations for teaming with culturally and linguistically diverse families, and creating a more diverse TASH, building cultural competence within TASH chapters, we will have over 20 hours of presentations on diversity, cultural competency, and self-advocacy such as the Inclusion Means Diversity and Cultural Competency Symposium, where Natalie will be the moderator, as well as our board president, Ralph Edwards, speaking on the panel, People of Color with Disabilities, Research and Systems Change. These are just a few of the 300-plus sessions presented by self-advocates, educators, family members, researchers, and service providers covering inclusive education, self-determination, employment, sexuality, assistive technology, the home and community-based waiver, and more. For a complete schedule of sessions, browsable by speaker and topic, and to register, visit tash.org conference2016. You can receive updates from TASH on this podcast and our other activities by following us on Facebook or on Twitter at TASH Tweet. Music for TASH Amplified is an original composition and performance by Sonny Seferati, the co-director and autistic self-advocacy mentor at The Musical Autist. You can learn more about The Musical Autist at themusicalautist.org. This has been a sample of the colleagues and conversations available through TASH. It is only because of the excellent work that our members do that we can bring you this information. For more resources such as this and to become a member, visit tash.org join. We'll hear from another outstanding advocate again in two weeks.